How many of you have ever gone on a night hike? Has anyone ever gone on a night hike? It's a whole different experience than hiking down trails where you can see what's coming next. Uh, it's something that involves mystery, really, what's out ahead of us here. And there's a cautiousness to it because you are not quite sure where you're stepping, so you take it slow. And sometimes you are more aware of the sounds around you than during the day when you are using primarily your eyes to see the trail. Now you're listening, and as you are listening, you are tuning in to this environment that maybe we just never really stop to notice. Well, a night hike in many ways can be potentially dangerous, especially if you don't have a lot of survival skills where you're able to know how to step and where not to step, that type of thing. So sometimes people that would like to take a night hike, they need an expert guide to lead them up front. And that guide will tell them, be careful, there's a branch across this path. Be careful, don't trip over it, don't fall. So what is happening to us when we go on a night hike physically has a parallel in some ways to what can happen to us spiritually when we enter into a dark moment of our life. Maybe our other senses are heightened in the sense that all the things that we have used to reason out why we are in the pickle that we're in don't make sense, but maybe we turn to prayer. Maybe we turn to reading. Maybe we just begin to become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So what is true with physical hiking in the dark can also be true in spiritual exploration as well. It is our quest over the next few weeks to understand the spiritual side of this endeavor that we go through when we enter that dense and dark periods of our life that many writers have often called the dark night of the soul. That term originated through an individual that is called St. John of the Cross. We'll come back to that a couple of times over the next four weeks. Since we are inexperienced at times on this night hike as we journey through the darkness, we need some night guide, a night hike guides to help us along the way. And I have chosen four of them that will help us to navigate some very familiar things that we go through at the hands of other people sometimes. Sometimes it's our own decisions, but we find ourselves on a dark trail, and that dark trail often is leading us to who knows where, and we need some people that have already been there. So I like this quote that I ran across by Chet Ramo in his book called The Soul of the Night. He says there is a tendency for us to flee from the wild silence and the wild dark, to pack up our gods and hunker down behind city walls, to turn the gods into idols, to kowtow before them, and approach their precincts only in the official robes of office. And when we are in the temples, then who will hear the voice crying in the wilderness? Who will hear the reed shaken by the wind? That's interesting. 
What he is getting at is many times when we enter the dark night of the soul, we try to just put it behind us. We try to hide in some way from what we are experiencing. And maybe that's why we miss this promise that we read at the beginning of our service together out of Isaiah 45.3 that says, I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches hidden in secret places. Maybe because we are afraid. Maybe because we anticipate danger that we never really learn to walk in the dark. Some of the things that I will share with you over the course of the next few weeks comes out of a book by Barbara Brown Taylor that's called Learning to Walk in the Dark. And she makes a distinction that's quite interesting between what she calls solar spirituality, i.e. the sun, and lunar spirituality, i.e. the moon. And so, over the next few weeks, we're going to explore lunar spirituality, the light of the moon, not the light of the sun. And what we're going to do is we are going to look at four individuals. Today I'm going to talk a little bit about Job, next week Jeremiah, then Jesus, and then John. And so this journey through these dark paths will find us at times perplexed. And that's what these individuals are as well. Job and Jeremiah, Jesus and John, who writes the book of Revelation, are all perplexed about some things that they are going through. Now, the moon works in conjunction with the sun. It is a balance. And even though we might like solar spirituality, at times we will need lunar spirituality. And when we do, what we will need is the guide through the night hike. And that's what these individuals will do for us. So you might ask, what is solar spirituality? Well, in the video that I showed you by Pete Enns, he goes on in that podcast that he keeps talking about, talking about how in the Old Testament, there is this idea, if you do right, you will be blessed. If you do wrong, you will be cursed. That's that same word that he was talking about, Baruch. Blessing and cursing, that's found in books like the book of Deuteronomy. So if you do right, you will be rewarded. If you do wrong, you will be rejected. Now whether we think about it or not, think about people. Isn't that the way they kind of look at life many times? Because when they enter into a night hike on the dark path, what's the first question that they raise? I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know what I did wrong that deserves this. Now, if there's anyone that would vocalize that question loudly, it would be Job. Because he lost everything. And in chapters 1 and 2, he not only loses his family, he not only loses his wealth, he not only loses... Um, his fortune, uh, and in terms of cattle and all those type of things, what we find is he loses his health too. And so here he is in chapter 3 where he curses the day that he is born. He says, it would have been better if I had never been born. Now, interestingly enough, Jeremiah will raise that same statement 
that we'll see next week in chapter 20 of the book of Jeremiah. He curses the day that he was born. Now, what's fascinating is all of this night hike that Job is going through is caused by this one that we call Satan. We use it as a proper name, but as you saw in the video, it's the idea of the Hasatan, the accuser. Now, Jesus will build on that when he talks about Satan, this spiritual entity that is an accuser, the one that brings accusation against people. And that's what is happening here in the book of Job. And what's amazing about this, this Hasatan influence, this Hasatan tendency is something that we have inside of us as well. In other words, we have the tendency to accuse. We have the tendency to blame. And we have the tendency to be quick in judgment upon other people, even though we have never walked a step in their shoes. And so what we find is that Job has a group of friends. And these friends come, and at least initially we see in chapter 2, sit with him and try to comfort him in the midst of his misery. But from chapter 3 forward, and especially beginning in chapter 4, these friends began to go back to their conventional solar spirituality. You do what's right, you will be rewarded. You do what's wrong, and you will receive rejection. They cannot get outside of that box. And so they begin to accuse and reprimand Job for the experience that he is going through. And so what we see in the book of Job is he is reprimanded by the people that he at least thought were his friends. Now, I think all of us at times, if we live long enough, have at times thought there were people that would be there for us no matter what happens to us, no matter what path we walk down. And what we find is when things got dark, when things got difficult, when things were scary, they turned around and they went back and left you on the dark path by yourself. And the way to justify that is to accuse you or to blame you or to reprimand you in some way. And so what we find in the book of Job is a cycle of conversations that looks something like this. In chapters 1 and 2, you have a narrative that gives a backdrop to this story. And I might call it a parable. It's more than a story in the sense of here's what happened and here's what it ended. It's more of a parable, and I said earlier when I read out of the book of Job, that this parable keeps being added to. When you think about it, why does it take 42 chapters to tell this story? That's quite lengthy, right? And why does it cycle over and over again? So what you have is the first two chapters are a narrative, but then there's conversation that takes place between Job and his supposed friends, and it cycles between Job and Eliphaz, Job and Bildad, Job and Zophar. And then it finally closes off with a guy by the name of Elihu near the end of the book. And when the book comes to a, clo a close, 
Job finally is in conversation with God. And there he finds that he spoke without knowledge. He spoke without wisdom. In other words, God was doing something that he did not fully understand. So if you look at the book of Job as a whole, Job's friends are actually acting quite conventionally. They're just taking the natural perspective that was given to them. Job's friends are operating from a theology of orthodoxy. Everyone believed this in their day. You do what's right, you'll get rewarded. You do what's wrong, you'll be rejected by God. But what you need to understand is you can go back and understand that much of life is not a transaction like that. You do what's right and you get... Sometimes you get uh, not only difficulties, but you get rejected or you perhaps carry the lingering consequences of doing what's right. And then the psalmist will say, you know, why do the wicked thrive? Why, why is it that the wicked can do all these wrong things and seem to get away with it? So it doesn't always work that way. That's my point. It doesn't always work according to that conventional thinking. So, if you look in certain parts of the Bible, you can back up this transactional God with a few verses that tell us, yes, you do what's right, you'll get rewarded. You do what's wrong, you won't. But there's plenty that's there that does not fit that theology because it's a mix. And I think that's what takes us on the dark path, that night hike many times. So, in Chapter 33, I'm going to skip over all of these conversations, but I want to read a couple of passages out of chapter 33. Elihu comes along, and I want you to listen to what Elihu had to say to Job. Chapter 33 says, But now hear my speech, O Job, and listen to all my words. See, I open my mouth, the tongue in my mouth speaks. My words declare the uprightness of my heart, and what my lips know they speak sincerely. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Answer me if you can, set your words in order before me, take your stand, see before God, I am as you are, I too was formed from a piece of clay, no fear of me need terrify you, my pressure will not be heavy on you. In other words, like the previous three friends that reprimand Job, I'm not like that, but you already note an air of superiority and arrogance, even in this a uh, short little passage. He's rising above where Job is, and he's looking down on him. And then verse 8 says, Surely you have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the sound of your words. You say I am clean without transgression. I am poor, and there is no iniquity in me. Look, he finds occasion against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks and watches all my paths. And he's speaking of God there. But in this, you are not right. Oh, here comes the reprimand. You know, he said he wasn't going to reprimand him like the previous conversations. But in this, you are not right. I will answer you. God is greater than any mortal. He's saying to Job, shut up, Job, because God is greater than you are. Shut up, Job. Listen to my wisdom. So in reality... Elihu is not any better than the previous three friends because he falls back to this conventional thinking. 
that says, if you do right, you're rewarded. If you do wrong, you will be rejected by God. When we walk through life, there will be people that come in and go out of our life that will always fall back to conventional thinking and they will put their inability to listen because on a night hike, you can't use your eyes, you have to also use your other senses. They can't do it. And so they always fall back to the default position that they've always carried because that's where they are safe. That's where they're safe. So sometimes when things don't add up, sometimes things don't match up, what happens is people bail on us or they reprimand us because they are uncomfortable. Does that make sense to everybody? It's not so much that you're uncomfortable going through the dark night, it's that they are uncomfortable that you are going through the dark night. That's quite ironic, don't you think? When Job's friends sat with him for seven days, seven days in silence, they were doing a Jewish custom that's called sitting shiva, which basically means they were there to help and support, not give their opinion. That's a Jewish custom for people that have lost someone, to sit with people and not offer opinions, but just sit with them in support. So remember here that Job has to have a resiliency to be able to get to the end of the book. He has to endure not only not understanding what's happening in his life, he has to endure the reprimands that are found by his accusatory friends. The ones that are pointing fingers at him. The ones that say, just fess up, Job. Just confess. You've done something wrong. That's why you're going through what you are going through. There will be times in our lives when we know that we haven't done anything to deserve what we're going through, but it happens. That's the way life works. You're given a medical diagnosis. You hear about someone that you dearly love that is suffering through dementia. You know of someone that lost their job and they can't support their family and there's no rhyme or reason to it. And maybe the thing to do is to just shut up and say, I'm here for you. I don't have answers, but I am here for you. I don't understand, but I'm here for you. There will be times, too, when you just need to stand your ground. And what I mean by that is, if you understand the gospel in Christ, you will understand grace more so than this conventional thinking of Old Testament personalities that says everything is a cause-effect, right? In other words, you did this, that's why this happened to you. You sometimes need to stand your ground and say, that doesn't make sense in a lot of situations in life. But what I'm going to do, and one of the great confessions of Job, quite frankly, is, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. 
He says, I don't understand, and God might take my life through all of this, yet I'm going to trust him. And he not only trusts God, he barucs God, he blesses God. For at the end of the book, what we find is that it tells us that Job never, ever sinned with his mouth. Isn't that a fascinating statement? He never sinned with his mouth. You see, most readers forget what we're told up front in the book. It was God that says, have you observed my servant Job? He's pious, he's upright, he's just, he is an individual that um, is righteous. And we forget about that once we see all that he's going through. God's opinion was the same all along, that Job is a blameless man that's full of integrity. And while he questions God in the dark, just like we all do, When the sun rises at the end of the book, he's still a blameless man. He's still full of integrity. What's fascinating is his fortunes are restored to him at the end of the book. But most people end up forgetting what God has said about Job. And they tend to be drawn by this insidious lure and temptation to blame people and reprimand them for what they're going through. Can I encourage you to be careful of that? Because I am quite sure that if we were going through the same thing that some of the people that we know and what they were going through, we were probably struggling just as much as they are. And we would surely uh, need the support and help of people to give us strength to be that night hike guide to say, just take another step in front of you. Don't try to cover the whole path all at one time. Just take the next step. Take it in faith. I'll be here. I'm right behind you. And I'll catch you should you trip or fall. So when we think about what is going on, it's interesting to me that P. Den said in that video clip, he had kind of an alternate way of looking at Job's wife, didn't he? Isn't that fascinating? Job, Job, my dear husband, you are full of integrity. Bless God one more time before you die. And then he said, she fed him bread and wine. Fascinating connection. We're going to take communion, and the communion elements are over on the table behind Mark over here. And... Jesus feeds us bread and wine when we need it the most sometimes, when we can't understand, when we're in the dark. Maybe what we need the most is a piece of bread and a cup to remind us that he never, ever gives up on us, that he reminds us that he'll be with us all the way through the dark path. And maybe that's meant to give to us the strength that we need to take the next step forward. So at this time, I'm going to encourage you to get up and uh, take a piece of bread and take a cup, come back to your seat and just hold it. And then uh, we will eat the bread and drink the cup together. Okay. Thank you. The Lord's table can mean a lot of different things, but maybe what it means the most to all of us is that God continues to walk with us through this life that Jesus walked that dark path himself. We'll talk about Jesus in a couple of weeks and what he went through. But we have this friend like no other. What a friend we have in Jesus. 
all our sins and griefs to bear, the old hymn says. So Jesus takes a piece of bread. He breaks it. And he says, this is my body that's broken for you. And Jesus, that ultimate night hike guide, tells us that he will be with us. He'll not leave us nor forsake us. And we take a piece of bread and we remember and we give thanks to God that he is with us through the dark paths. Let's eat together. Barbara Brown Taylor in that book, Learning to Walk in the Dark, um, says loss is how we come to surrender our lives. When you think back on your own life and some of the losses you've had to go through, there was some point that you had to surrender and give it over to God. There was a night like that for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was going through his own loss. Those that would betray him. The fear of going through death. The fear of the torture on the cross. But yet, he takes a cup on that last meal that he has with his disciples. And he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. And that new covenant is not like the old covenant, based upon that reward lost paradigm. It is based upon grace. And so grace and peace are found in the fact that Jesus died to show us the love of God and to walk with us when we need his sight because we don't have it. So let's take the cup and remember that Jesus shed his blood on our behalf. Let's drink together. Would you stand with me, please, as we close our service here this morning? You know, the darkness often hides things from sight, and that leaves us in mystery. I wish at times I could see better than I see, but I don't. I don't have night eyes. But what I do have is a night guide. We have the stories that we're going to look at. But ultimately, we have Jesus Christ. And so let's pray to him as we close our service. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you lead us along the way. And you are the ultimate guide that helps us along those difficult paths, those dark moments. And we're praying that as we follow you, we will trust you for the next step. I pray on behalf of those not only here, but those who might watch this message online, whatever they may be going through, whatever dark paths they are treading, that they might sense that you are there. By your Holy Spirit, whisper into their soul that you love them. And may that give them the confidence to take the next step. For I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As always, I always like to wish you a great week ahead, and we'll come back together Wednesday night. We're doing a study, or next Sunday morning here downstairs in the social hall. Have a great day, everyone.